Investing insights with Right Property Group. Exploring trends in real estate and helping property investors gain financial security. G'day everybody, Steve Waters and Victor Kumar back for our first podcast of 2021. Yes, Steve, and you look a year older already. I'm actually still younger than you <laughs> it, uh, and will ever always be younger than you. Nonetheless, knowledge is in years, so they say. How was Christmas? Christmas was good. Um, uh, like most people, uh, plans got in total disarray with the border closures, but um, you know we came through it unscathed and um, perhaps um, with a uh, credit card bill that wasn't as heavy as it usually is because we couldn't go anywhere. Well, the trick to that is don't have credit cards to begin with because True it that. affects finance. True that. It, it does, <laughs> yeah. And in fact, yeah, that's a great segue into um, you know, what to look forward to in 2021, which is finance, because as with everything, that is the key to investing. It is, and it will always be that way. And, and whilst there's a lot of uh, narrative and opinion around what finance will do over the coming months, especially with the, the pivot from responsible lending to responsible borrowing, um, and how it should theoretically become more easy to get credit. I'm not sure there's going to be this massive difference from black to white, so no. to speak, where suddenly you're borrowing 50% more or you have the ability to borrow 50% more because there are a lot of people looking at the market at the moment hoping that it doesn't have a runaway effect mm. where that potential APRA handbrake may be pulled in the years to come. Now, on that, APRA, we're paying... I think the ramifications of what APRA did yesteryear and sort of cutting all investors out of the market has been partially what has been created today in terms of lack of supply, raising rents, asset value, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And whilst they'll never have that perfect balanced point, um, hopefully they've learnt their, their lesson. But we'll get to that a little bit later. Question for you, why you were on holidays? Did you buy a holiday home? Because I know we were talking about <laughs> yeah, it that's right, beforehand. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, no, I did not. I did not. I learned that lesson many, many years ago. Um, never to buy a property when you're holiday, particularly at your holiday destination. But um, a lot of people that I have spoken with have actually uh, attempted to, or have actually gone forward and, and bought it because they're now looking at things from a different filter, right? To say that okay, I can work away from my uh, daily commute maybe this is the place to be. Um, and I think what's happening now is that a lot of people, when they're doing things in an unplanned way, are really setting themselves up for quite a sizable disaster in the years to come as things return to normalcy when the employers start saying, well, you've got to come back to the office. Um, mm. Interest rates start going up. And uh, you realize also that uh, living at the holiday destination wasn't all it was trumped up to be because you're still working and you're not actually enjoying the facilities. And I think that's a really good point because people, we've always been advocates of reacting to markets mm -hmm. as long as there's that preparation and diligence beforehand and you know where you're going and why it fits into you know, the initial stages of a portfolio or an you know, addition number 100, whatever it may be. However, this COVID scenario and to some degree take away the health aspect and the like has become the biggest social experiment we've ever seen. Has it ever. And yeah. people are reacting from that point of view as though this is the new norm. There will never be an office environment again. Everybody will work remotely for the rest of 
eternity. And I just don't see it panning out that way. Sure, mm. the workplace as we know it has changed uh, f- eternally. However, it, it isn't this 180 degree separation from the past. And mm-hmm. we need to be very careful when adding to the portfolio, whatever we purchase, that it actually has sustainability. Yeah. And that it's still an agile investment, not a fragile one, mm-hmm. where you'll be stuck with an unwanted asset that really nobody wants or a very small slice of the market will want and therefore it backs you into a corner, whether that be financially or to move forward, whatever it, mm. whatever it may be. In other words, we need to take the COVID filter off and still look at it from an investment in a normal market because right now one could argue that it is an abnormal market and it's abnormal not because of the market fundamentals, it's abnormal because of the psychology of the investor. Behind it, yep. correct. Right. The psychology of the investor Actually, the psychology of everybody has changed mm-hmm. and thanks to COVID. And whether that be a positive or a negative, it's changed nonetheless. But it's not the new constant. No, it's not. Not every aspect of it is the new constant. And as a result of that, there are going to be decisions, as you mentioned earlier on, on the decisions that we make today and the opportunity that we potentially execute today still needs to have longevity. Mm-hmm. It needs to be still performing as though COVID never existed that's right yeah number one rule of investing is understanding that it's very easy to get into a property transaction it's substantially harder and more expensive to get out of it if you've got it wrong so you need to make sure that the property that you buy is in line with your particular financial fingerprint and is also in a liquid area so what i mean by that is that uh, in the hard times you're still able to sell this down and it's not a unique property as such where, I'll bring bring an example from my portfolio, which I think you already know which one I'm gonna talk about. Uh, this is the service departments up, um, up the coast, which um, we bought some 10, 12 years ago. Now, it's got several wards on it, so it's a service department, and it's also uh, in a holiday let area managed by a hotel group, right? So, ticks on all boxes. And off the plan. And off the plan as well, yep. Um, so, when you look at it from a financing point of view, already we've cut out a lot of lenders that don't like service departments, especially if they're man- managed by a hotel group, right? So that's half, if not three quarters of the lenders gone. Then we've also then cut down in terms of the people that can buy it off me because the loan to value ratio on this is likely to be 60, yeah, you know, at, at the on best a good case. Day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and the valuation is gonna be harder um, to achieve. So it's something that is not liquid, right? So in, in, in a good market, I'm talking about a good market, you'll get 60% LVR on this. What happens in a bad market? Right? You, this is simply not a property that you'd be able to sell easily. So you'd have to take a bath on it. It could actually uh, derail your entire portfolio because uh, if I look at it from my viewpoint, excuse me, if I look at it from my viewpoint, into, see, I still get a lump in my throat when I talk about <laughs> that. <laughs> He's tearing up. <laughs> so if I look at it from the view of uh, my portfolio, this is by far the only negative cash flow property because the management fees are so high. And when you want to use it, that's when the cash flow is at its peak, right? So you can't actually, uh, from a financial point of view, use it. Um, and, and when you don't want to use it, it's usually vacant, which is during the winter months. Mm. So this is something that uh, it's a good lesson to say that, you know, you need to be looking at 
the property as if things will go wrong and uh, you don't want to be caught in a situation where it is very hard to get out of it uh, and continue the portfolio. It actually, it, it's an interesting point because, and I've got it up here in front of me, I had a very similar question to a holiday at Let area or a coastal region uh, at the end of last year where someone said to me, are we seeing the new norm where these coastal regions, which were potentially were, were a subpar performing area pre-COVID, yeah. yeah, but are we going to see this now, this transient shift to these areas because of remote working capabilities mm-hmm. and you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And what it did is it, it made me think about the different types of investors for the, but taking a constant approach. So mm-hmm. trying to take out the peaks and the troughs of, of markets and the, the crisis and the good times and the bad times and try to categorise not the, the, the human side of an investor but just the types of investment. And so I wrote some things down. So go with me on this. The first one is value investing. So mm-hmm. are you a, a value investor? And I I deem myself as a value investor. It doesn't matter what it is that I purchase, whether it's a, a property, a car, a pencil. I want to know that I'm extracting value mm-hmm. from it. And yep. so essentially the main idea of value investing is that the price you pay matters. Mm. Yeah. Now on the surface, everyone says, well, yeah, it always does, but it's not. So keep going here. A contrarian investor. That's a good one. Yeah, I thought so where you're actually just doing the opposite mm. of what everybody says. So, yeah, you know, like a Warren Buffett scenario yeah, or so COVID beginning. Everyone was running to the hills yep. thanks to the narrative and the media around it. But those that really knew what it was all about was actually going diving headfirst into it. Mm-hmm. So being a contrarian investor. And then the next one was growth at a reasonable price. Mm. Now, what that is, in my opinion – is that you're willing to pay a fair price for the growth being the fundamentals and everything that are around it. And historically, if you want to sort of throw that into the pot, is paying a fair price for a good asset that will return and grow in value over the future. Then we get to momentum investing. And this is kind of where we are at the moment, where a lot of people are going to be at the moment. You could almost put that as FOMO investing. Yep. Yeah. Now that the unsophisticated version mm-hmm. of it. So momentum investing is riding into a market where a rising tide is lifting all ships, mm-hmm. so to speak. And you just want to be a part of that. And price kind of isn't too much at the forefront of your decision. So you're more or less transactional in nature. Correct. Transactional and potentially transitional. Yep. Meaning that you're not really looking too long to too much into the future. You're just trying to get onto the growth gravy train. Mm -hmm. And it's this one, if you get wrong, that will hurt you the most because it's usually in a subpar area that is having over and above normalized average growth because of whatever the reason may be. It could be a mining town. Mm -hmm. And so therefore timing becomes to be profitable. Timing needs to be impeccable. Yep. So momentum, momentum investing. And that's about as far as I got but it really does categorize all of us in one way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. And you could nearly have one or two of those aspects at any given time. Yeah, There might even be all five of them might be sort of small parts of the, the profile of a successful mm-hmm. investor. Yeah, a, a good, well-educated, well-rounded investor would have all of those things. Absolutely. But, but with checks and balances. So as an example, if you talk about the um, momentum um, uh, investor, they um, 
there are a lot of current affair stories about these investors as well where they've um, followed the horde they've followed investing via media and jumped on, onto an area uh, too late so towards the peak when everything became uh, public knowledge um, or uh, secondly they have jumped in at the right time but they've failed to monetize and they haven't been able to jump out at the right time at the right time and that actually I missed one of the the, the profiles which is growth asset investing which is basically what you described meaning that you're you're buying cash flow mm-hmm. you'll pay a price in terms of entry because of the amplified cash flow at the yeah. back so that could be a subpar regional area with 13% yields mm. and you're paying for the privilege mm. however those amplified yields are usually more illiquid yeah and they're also more dynamic in terms of their peaks and troughs the distance between the peaks and troughs is the is the million dollar question in terms of how long does that market run for mm. before there's an abrupt halt and and it is the change would be very sudden in those areas usually and it's not yeah exactly because it's not a gradual process mm-hmm. it's not where we start well here's four or five indicators that is going to see from peak to tr- you know to the initial stages uh, of contraction in either value or cash flow it's not going to be a 3 to 4 year process it's it's going to be very very quick mm-hmm. you know, a mine closes down yeah. as an example uh, or or the, the new laws are that you know it's it's impossible to work from home mm. because of OHNS I'm just clutching but so therefore everybody needs to go back to the yep. office and environment there there are all of these things we need to consider and there's all five aspects in a well-rounded investor as you said earlier on it's just that it's the timing and the education mm-hmm. piece behind it knowing when to be more of one yes than the other yeah and and the only way you can do that is when you dive into the the back end of stuff in terms of what makes that area grow what's keeping it constant and why is it no longer value to you now it could still be value to someone else right but it could no longer be value to you in your portfolio because by adding that type of investment or that type of property in there could actually stunt the growth of your portfolio because then it it locks you up it does not allow you to grow um um the portfolio further or even something as simple as it doesn't allow you to restructure your mortgages um to get the cheaper rates because you have one or two unique properties in your portfolio correct and so the reason we bring this up is because of this potential i'm going to call it a bull market that we generally might be going into mm. that people start to shortcut the process because they're, they're keen to get onto a property because they're they're now all loaded in in terms of I come back to the investment profiles of a momentum investor yeah whereas I don't want to miss out I just want to ride that gravy train all I'm doing is thinking about the growth for the short term mm. not about the sustainability of it which might actually then stop and lock me into a position where I can't do anything I become he's he's the sixth investor profile the illiquid investor mm-hmm. which means that you're stuck yeah and you might have to wait another whole 8 years for that cycle to re-perpetuate whatever the trigger points are to be able to move forward mm. again so there are many many different scenarios that we've modeled out over the last 12 months and even when covid first hit we were very public in terms of well this is how it will play out and we're confident mm. that it will uh and it has and we'd still need to make sure that we're addressing I don't like I'm getting a little bit over the word fundamental because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it should be just a given but I'm going to yeah. use it so it's we still need to make sure that we have sustainability the decisions we make today needs to enable us to have sustainability for the medium term mm-hmm. and long term 
Otherwise, we're going to go backwards. That's right. That's right. And if you look at uh, when when COVID started, everything was doom and gloom and very pessimistic, right? Even the media was saying 30, 40% decline uh, to now where they're saying 15, 20% increase uh, in value, right? So as it was uh, during um, the start of COVID, where uh, everything was pessimistic in approach, we still needed to make sure that we took that, but we didn't get influenced by um, or paralyzed by um, the pessimism in the market to stop um, looking at our portfolio and adding to our portfolio, even taking away from our portfolio. The same comes back right now where we are very optimistic and very bullish about the property market. So very much so we still need to, and, and, and again, using the word fundamentals, still need to go back to fundamentals to say that, okay, yes, this is the filter right now. Um, we need to be able to take ourselves away from um, the um, buoyancy of it to come back to my own situation to see how I can take advantage of today's market based on my circumstances, based on my portfolio and based on my goals. Um, rather than trying to invest via media where the media says, now um, a good example is regional areas have grown the, the most in, in, in the last 24 months, right? And, and you take that with a grain of salt because there are a lot of overlying factors in there. And in fact, coming back to your um, comment about what happens when normalcy comes in and the employer says, come back to work, um, what happens to these regional areas? Mm. Are the employment nodes close by? So this, yeah. this is something that we need to look at from a holistic point of view, rather than just, here's the data set right now, and I'm gonna make my decision based on this. You need to still be looking at it from a medium to long-term view. And if you're investing via media and the narrative that they create, mm -hmm. and even some, even some economists and the like, so you mentioned the big banks and everything like that, not calling them, them out individually, perhaps collectively, is that how much, how much credence are you weighing in on their opinion considering how quickly it changed? and how fickle it was, where they were adamant that the market was going to collapse. Mm -hmm. There was no ifs or buts. It will collapse. Yep. It's just a matter of by how much. And now what? Eight well, I'd say it would even be six months mm. since that narrative has changed. changed 180 degrees. Absolutely it has. So where is the, <laughs> where is the belief? How do we as, as the public actually give them any weight in terms of their opinion. Yeah, because there was no magic switch that happened where it says, okay, no more no more um, uh, pessimism, now it's optimism. Right? Yeah, it's not like, well, let's flick that switch mm -hmm. and or here's a major indicator for us to change our mind or even mm -hmm. create the decision to begin with. And I'm sure that there's a lot of people out there that are very well educated um, that demand that you listen to their opinion because of whatever the reason, I'm not going to get down yeah. that rabbit hole, I'll change tack. But... <laughs> The fact is, if you if, if if the belief in their rhetoric is solid, then your opinion will change accordingly mm -hmm. as the wind blows, because theirs does. Yeah, that's right. Because they're looking at sets of data and forming an opinion. And say, okay, if this set of data continues, this is what's going to happen, right? But the data itself, just because you've said you know it's going to do this, is not going to do that, because we're dealing with human beings, mm. uh, and we're dealing with economy where it's not uh, governed by just the one aspect. There are many different aspects that control the um, both the um, local 
um, the uh, the um, uh, sovereign and and the um, global economy in in itself. So it's not something that can be set in stone. We can predict, and that's all it is: predictions. We, yeah, which is another word for modeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is another word for crystal gazing, crystal ball gazing. Which is another word for assumptive investing. Yeah, and to some degree, all investing is assumptive mm. because we never know what the future holds um, in terms of being a hundred percent correct. But as, if we're looking at all these indicators then we're okay. But to take the opinions of people without any real understanding of why that opinion is even being tabled is, is, is just silly, which is why you would have heard a lot of people in our space. And collectively, I don't think there was one of us that I have respect for that was of a different opinion. We were all saying, well, here are all the indicators that to say that as to give reason as to why every single one of these people are saying that the market is going to collapse by 10, 20, 30, 40%, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. are wrong. Yeah. It wasn't us individually. Collectively, we were all saying it because we are on the ground. The, ground. the way that we interpret the data is not textbooked you know, style, if mm-hmm. you will, relying upon algorithms and you know, taking away the human emotion out yeah. of it. It just it was an absolute lay down was there for us that it was not going to happen the way that they predicted. Mm-hmm. Now, if this is not us grandstanding and saying, well, you know, maybe we should be the next economist of, a, <laughs> of the banking system. I'm not saying that. But sometimes overcomplicating the data yeah. is far more dangerous than actually doing nothing or the believing in it. Common sense needs to prevail. That's the bottom line. Yeah. So um, here's a really good um, example of... of uh, how you can't just simply rely on data. And, and this is one of the things that we do when we're evaluating a property. Let's say we found the perfect property. Good rental, um, prospects, uh, nice solid house, good street. Yet we fail to evaluate the neighbours, right? Got a hoard on one side and a guy that plays loud music on the other side. What's going to happen to your tenancy? No, it's, it's, it's going to be impacted, right? So data is all, all said that this is a good suburb and all that, but that particular street or that particular cluster of homes is not the right one, right? So this is where you need to take the data and interpret it on the ground. It's, it's almost like saying population growth mm-hmm. is a prerequisite to asset growth. Yeah. And it's just not. Not, not true. Look, at, not look at right now. We're we, we in, we in a uh, lowest population growth in Australia, yet we've had increase in growth. It's zeroed out. Yeah. yeah. And, and we'll take even an individualised suburb where they might change the election council zones mm-hmm. in half the population or it's a transient um, sell-off of government housing. Yeah. Yeah, there's a million reasons as to why that is just not the number one rule to mm-hmm. investing. Find the place with the population growth the most and yeah, you'll make money. There are so many different filters that need to be overlaid before you can get that to that decision. But we've gone down a rabbit hole there. Yeah, we have to. And as we've as got, we do. <laughs> and we've got on our soapbox. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think the reason that we probably have without knowing it at the time <laughs> before we enter this conversation is because we can see the beginnings of a lot of people making the same mistakes. As they did in the ST years. As they did yeah. last cycle mm-hmm. and the cycle before yeah. that because of the lack of – or maybe because of the right – understanding of the correct education mm-hmm. that they that they do need yeah or the diligence that they need if you implicitly hand over your decisions to someone else just because you're paying them or whatever it may be without any due diligence on your behalf is just yeah. stupidity just just remember you can't outsource your push-ups 
can't what? Outsource your push-ups. You have to do them yourself. So in other words, the due diligence, you're going to do the, do yourself. You can't pay someone to do the push-ups so you can become fit. That's a new one for you, isn't it? <laughs> Just trying, where do I go with that? <laughs> you can't outsource your push-ups. We'll put that into one of the investor profiles <laughs> as well. So let's get back on track and we'll, use, we'll do the fitness podcast. Mm-hmm. Later. Later. It's um, clearly you can see that we are. It, so if we talk about the things to be aware of, the things to not believe and the things to believe in terms of the COVID scenario that we're in the middle of, because it hasn't finished, nor will it for that foreseeable future, what would be the number one thing or factor that you would suggest, not just to a new investor, but to all investors, to be wary of, to consider all the time? With the COVID filter on or off? On. On, yeah. I would still look at it from, first of all, you need to set up a, set up a plan, right? So there's the three processes to this plan. First of all is, is actually sitting down with someone and running through your goals and what you're trying to achieve. Now, I, I use the word goals loosely over here because a lot of people, when they do get started, it's not clear, right? But they do want to get started. So uh, what does the first property look like to you in terms of what you're trying to achieve? That holds it down and, and, and you match it to, okay, does it really make, make sense from my financial point of view and by buying this type of property, forget area at this stage, right? By buying this type of property, will this now lock me up so that I have no level of movement at all if finances change and the mortgages, uh, the interest will start going up, right? So that's the first thing. Then you actually need to go in and restructure all of your mortgages and, and get the finance in place then you look for, okay, how can I make this finance fit into a property that suits my needs? And, and that's the process that you go through. Um, and uh, realistically, if you're starting from scratch today, um, you really need to set yourself perhaps a 90-day plan to go through this whole process and have settled a property by then. What most people get wrong given today's market and given a market that's bullish is they are too eager to get started and they buy um, perhaps the wrong property um, to begin with because there, there's several types of properties in a portfolio. You First of all, you've got to have your foundational properties. They are your pillars uh, where it, it can prop up all of the other properties that you can buy off the equity or off the, uh, the cash flow of these properties. Then you've got the filler properties where it'll fill in um, the um, nuances of the uh, or the cash flow nuances of the uh, portfolio so such as uh, one of the things that we say is pigeon pairing it so if you've got a high growth property you'd go for a, a cash flow property next to balance it out if your finances dictate that um, uh, and and of course you still need to be looking at it from a helicopter view to say okay where is this all heading don't get uh, so caught up in the individual transactions that you're failing to lift your head up and and see where the entire portfolio and where the journey is actually heading towards and constantly correcting um, with the currents of um, the economy, the currents of um, the um, uh, rental market, the currents of the value proposition and, and the market sentiment, you need to correct against that to be able to be uh, on course. It reminds me of something that we said a few podcasts ago where cash flow is the expansion joint. Yes, yes it is. That takes up the ebbs and flows of the building, so mm-hmm. therefore your portfolio. Yeah. You need that 
that piece in the middle, if you will, to be able to absorb the different movements within mm-hmm. the within the portfolio. So essentially, what you're saying is planning, planning, planning. Yep. Still. Yeah. But you know, in in one of the podcasts we had said, right? Most people um, uh, go ready, fire, aim. Right. We need to go ready, aim, fire. But there's also the other investor that goes ready, aim, 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 mm. aim, but they never fire, right? So you want to be a ready, aim, fire um, investor. And that planning process is quite intricate. It, it's not just a one size fits all and Correct. everybody's in the same boat. Yep. It's, it's got to be quite tailor-made, mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. will. But more to the point, also with the finance scenario, now there's a, there's a lot of people that you'll see along social media saying, you know, book your free strategy session. Yeah. And for me, that's kind of counterproductive. How, mm. how can you form a strategy without knowing what your capacities and thresholds are? Not just personally, but what the bank is yeah. willing to, to lend you. You yep. might have, well, someone might say, you need to, to purchase in, I don't know, eastern suburbs of Sydney. Mm-hmm. And it should be around... Yeah, circa $1.5 million because historically that's where the best average growth is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which we've never believed and we, we try to explain away that. But if you, if you only have the capacity to borrow 750000 Wrong area. Wrong area. There's mm-hmm. just been a whole heap of time that you've wasted and more importantly, the person that was giving you that advice didn't take the time to understand your situation, yeah. your capacities. That's right. So mo- most of these, um, and, and I not bagging any providers out there, right? But most of people's approach is this. You're going to a service provider and it's a, here's something I prepared earlier that gets served to you straight off, right? It's like going to a, um, you know, going to Macca's and um, uh, as you walk up to the counter, the, you know, the, the um, um, uh, employee rings up a big, big Mac without even asking you. Yet you could be just there for chips or their, their rolls and you know, just making this that, up. that ties in really well with outsourcing your push-ups. <laughs> that's right, that's if right, you're at McDonald's, <laughs> and you're clearly outsourcing <laughs> your push-ups. Yeah. <laughs> so they're not, they're not taking into account what you want and what you need. Uh, instead, they're just pre-filling your order, right? Now, now, this is what most people, when they're investing and they're hiring a professional, unfortunately, that's the path they go down because um, there is no consultative approach. A, a, a true strategy is only built once you've got a concept plan, you've got the finance in place, and then the strategy is honed down along with the concept plan, taking finance That's into account. That's a good account. point, because it's reverse engineered based on those yes. numbers. Because there are two types of affordability, because that's kind of what we're talking about here, um, whether we like it or not. It's one, what you know you can afford, and two, what the bank says you can afford, mm-hmm. or the lending yeah. institution. And they could be very different. Very, very different. Or another example might be that you could have uh, the approvals from the lending institution to borrow a million dollars, but you've got $40,000 worth of capital. Yeah. Those two numbers just don't... They don't match. They don't match. So this is where booking your free consultation, or sorry, your free strategy session is actually a total counterproductive Mm -hmm. position and it's a waste of time until Mm -hmm. you understand what those numbers are. So if we go back to what you were saying earlier on, in terms of ready, aim, fire, rather than sort of ready, 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 or ready, aim, 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 it is going to hinge around that financial piece. Correct. Because everything will be a, a factor of mm-hmm. that. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that before you do anything in terms of consulting with someone that you'd be need to speaking to a broker first because maybe the, the, 
the consultation will point you in the right direction of the, mm-hmm. the questions you need to be asking because the quality of your answers is going to be determined by the quality of your question. Correct. So there is a there's several moving pieces mm-hmm. here yeah. that we need to take into account, but it doesn't happen within three days. No. And it'll probably that time period will actually get longer and longer and longer as more people enter into the market. In fact, just before Christmas, I know one of the major banks was I think it was nearly twenty days before they picked up a file. Correct. Just for assessment. Just for assessment. Not, not even mentioning that they need more information. Mm-hmm. But you go back to the bottom of the pile and then the, the cycle starts again. So the longer, that we, the longer that we take now will be the longer that we clearly get into the market while everybody else starts. Brings me to another point, though, in terms of the market conditions. And we'll just go mm-hmm. sideways a bit here at the moment because there's certain parts of the market today, and this will tie into preparation potentially, there are certain parts of the market today across Australia, several markets across Australia today, where I have not seen the stock on market this tight in mm-hmm. 20 years. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to say ever. Yeah. Like it is yeah, historically, in- historically low. Mm-hmm. In you know, Where traditionally in a normal market, you could go onto one of the dot-com platforms and there'd be, let's call it, seven pages of properties for sale. Today there's one mm-hmm. page with maybe 12 Got 20 listings of which out of that 20 listings 80% of them are under offer yep. or it's bait advertising mm. just to make you ring them it, to collect data it's I've never seen it this tight now that doesn't mean that we're into a runaway market it might be a moment in time because of a number of factors which we'll get into in the minute nonetheless it comes into the preparation side of the ledger whereas when the opportunity presents itself if you don't, if you're not prepared, if you don't have that finance in place, you're going to miss the opportunity. There will be no renegotiation of contractual terms in that cooling off period. As an example, can I extend? Can I extend? The seller and the agent are, just going, are going to say no. So you need to have all of your ducks lined up yeah. now. Finance, finance. Right. Yeah. Once again, this is this is where the ready comes finance in. and direction. Yes, yeah. Uh, and um, if you look at you know um, what's happening in the market right now in terms of um, um, the stock on the market. This is understanding the process in the various states, right? So as an example, in New South Wales and Victoria in particular, a solicitor needs to prepare the contracts first before the agent can actually market it, right? So that's, that's the law there. Um, so most solicitors have come back on the 11th or 18th of Jan. Uh, and if um, the agent has um, um, signed the vendor up to sell the property, he can't do anything until he's got a physical contract in his, in his uh, office. So when the solicitor comes back, of course, there's a backlog of more urgent matters. So it'll probably be a week before he picks up the file. And the first thing they need to do, if it's in New South Wales, is order the 149 certificate and title search and all that from council, right? Takes a couple of days. Then they collate everything, they send it to the agent. Um, and, and they may have a few things wrong, so they'll add another day there. So before you know it, now two weeks have gone. Then the agent books in the photographer uh, to get some professional photography done and then loads it up on the net. So another three, four days have gone by uh, before it can get launched to the market. So before we know it, we're into February, right? Mm. And this is traditionally, January has been a low um, low listing month. The listings are still there, they can't market it, right? But given COVID and people are sort of, uh, in my opinion, sitting back a bit to say, you know, let's see how it pans out over December before we come back. Or they've used this Christmas period because they haven't gone anywhere to rationalize where they're going to live, uh, you know, will they offload their property to buy a better one or are they going to offload to pay down debt? 
and there's a there's an influx of properties coming in. Uh, so it's a it's a matter of understanding where various markets are and how the mechanics work uh, before you st- before you really start um, changing your investing criteria to match the market. So opposite of trying to catch a falling knife in a bad market, mm-hmm. you don't want to be trying to catch the helium balloon. Yeah, you know. Reaching, reaching, reaching right. in, a, in a good market. Mm-hmm. But there's there's a couple of other indicators there which I've thought about as well. And clearly the cost of money is as cheap as it's ever been. It has been. The fiscal cliff, so to speak, around JobKeeper, JobSeeker, um, in combination with the mortgage holiday, has not, as we said it would, has not um, turned into this major negative event. Mm. There's no major mortgage in possession sales. Correct. Um, and as a side note, in fact, I think I read the stats uh, the other day, Mortgage holders are the most in front they've been since the 70s, yep. I think it was. And not even slightly, we're talking four, five-fold. I mean, the savings rate has been phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, savings, basically, which is for anyone who has the property, it's probably in their offset or something like that. Yeah. Um, but there's a there's a big component of people out there that were waiting to see how the market would unfold mm. and whether they should pull the trigger and sell um, to, to minimise a loss. That was the sort of the rhetoric or the, the thought process between their ears, that's now changed to saying, well, hang on, I'm hearing about all this boom market potential. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should hang on, because I can, to try and catch a bit of that boom market and, and sell it at a higher price. So they're withholding yep. from the market. And the third factor is that there's a degree of homeowners out there, investors or occupiers, which were going to sell because they were upsizing, downsizing, mm-hmm. sideways sizing, you know, whatever it may be. But if they're looking for another place to purchase and there's nothing out there for them to purchase, they're hanging on to the existing property until they see more stock on market yeah. and they have better choice. So there's also that imposition in terms of stock on market. When you throw all of that into the pot, it's created the tightest mm. listing yeah. scenario I've and, seen. And, and this is this is where you and I we are utilizing our years of relationship building with this agents. We are pulling yeah. every lever, <laughs> yeah, so that we get an inside run. Uh, because most of the time, once it hits the net, it's it's open slather. Yeah, and this and like I've actually even noticed. Remember about I don't know six months ago, twelve it would have been twelve months ago, where one of my major soapbox moments on this podcast, and I think I did one. We also talked about it with uh, Phil mm-hmm. um, from SPI as well about this whole pre, oh, sorry, off-market yeah. scenario. No such thing. Have you seen that the, the rhetoric change lately? I've seen a few people start to say, you know, off-market doesn't really exist mm-hmm. um, or doesn't necessarily mean that it's a, you know, ripper of an opportunity yeah. just because it is Look, b- bottom line, right, S- simple logic. If you never had the intention to sell, the only reason you would sell is someone's made you a phenomenal offer that you can't say no to. So the intention to sell was always there. It's more pre-market. Pre-market and relationships now is mm. more. And this is one of the one of the signs we use as trying to judge the tempo of a market. And as sort of unsophisticated as it is, the time it takes for an agent to call us back mm-hmm. or the fact that they even call us at all is a really good gauge of the tempo of the market. So if we had have gone back during the lockdown, even though the market didn't contract, the communication with the agents, selling agents we're talking about here was extremely high on both sides. And we're starting to see that taper off very, very quickly Mm -hmm. in terms of how long it takes for that phone call to be returned, which is even more of a 
reason that the relationships that we have are still cultured and kept so that we do get heads up. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't not, not in the illegal sense because the vendor will always be represented correctly by the selling agent. Mm. But if we just get 24 hours, 48 hours notice, our diligence is then 24, 48 hours in front of everybody else. That's true. And it's very, very – can be a lucrative mm. point. Yeah. Now, we, we, we touched very briefly, Steve, on regional markets, right? And um, what the um, media is saying in terms of regional market absolutely outperforming and has outperformed all other markets. I think it would be um, really prudent to say over here that you have to take that with a grain of salt, right? Because, yes, a lot of people have, have moved regional, but the definition of regional needs to be addressed in each state before we can we can uh, decipher where this data is heading. Uh, so as an example, um, a regional in Sydney would be distance from distance from CBD, right? Um, and it could be hour and a half, two hours, or more. Right? That would, in my mind, well, within one and a half hour, is still considered commutable distance back to um, postcode two thousand. Uh, with the infrastructure that's here in Sydney. So therefore, uh, it's more so metropolitan in nature. Right? If you took the same thing back to, um, say, Victoria, Ballarat, which is hour five from um, Melbourne CBD, or Geelong, which is 45 minutes from Melbourne CBD, both are considered regional because of the lie of the land, because you've got a lot of vacant land in between. Uh, so there isn't a suburb after suburb after suburb scenario, right? So um, that if you look at those two markets in particular, they've done phenomenally well because it is still reasonable travel distance, right? It's commutable. It's mm. doable. Yeah. Uh, in fact, um, if you look at it with with both of those areas, you'd be able to get to major employment nodes, forget the area itself, but major employment nodes coming back towards Melbourne very easily. Yet from Melbournians or, or, or Victorians, it is still considered regional. So that that does skew the data quite a bit um, and, and says that, well, regional areas have gone phenomenally well. A lot of people have moved to water, to coastal, line, coastal areas. Geelong is an example, uh, a lot of coastal um, properties there. So of course that's had a spike and we need to take that into account. Um, the, the thing that we need to be mindful of is that not get caught up with the percentage growth. So if you're starting off with a, a value of 150 and it's gone up by 20,000, the percentage is far greater, isn't it? Mm, uh, mm. In comparison to something that's starting at 500 and it's gone up 50,000, mm. yeah? Um, so it, 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 you need to take that into account. But the biggest thing I think is that with all of these um, rhetoric, my opinion, this is the time to control as expensive an asset as you can within reason, so the cash flow needs to still be addressed as if the interest rates are above four and a half percent, right? So you need to be able to control a sizable asset where the liquidity is still maintained, you've still got all of the fundamentals and the key fundamental in there needs to be availability of jobs in a bad market. I can now see the emails flying in. <laughs> on that comment 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> you just created a whole heap of work in terms of the explanation. So if you want to send an email, it's Steve at Drive Propping. <laughs> <laughs> it, um, and maybe we should give a little bit more clarification around that in terms of mm-hmm. controlling the most expensive yes. asset that you can. Um, it's based on your scenario. Mm-hmm. And I want to say it's based on your scenario. I'm not talking about a million dollar asset. Yeah, you go and buy a million dollar asset. No, I'm not talking yeah, about that. Correct. That's, what, that's all I wanted you to say. <laughs> it, um, but in some cases, yeah. it could be that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It, um, as you were saying that, I was thinking about you know, one, of our, one of our mantras, if you will, one of our pillars, which has always been cash flow. And at the end of the day, it's about multiple streams mm-hmm. of cash flow because that negates risk yeah. to some degree. And if we're all in on one asset with a very skinny yield, just mm. to reiterate what we've talked about for many, many years now, then the amplification of risk it's quite is significant. It's there. Yeah. And it usually raises its head at the worst possible mm-hmm. time. And the worst possible time is because everyone is in that same boat, mm. you know, i.e. an economy yep. or whatever it may be. So Victor did not mean that you should be buying multi-million dollar properties. Some, for some it may be, mm-hmm. um, but for others it, it Diversification, you need to look at it from a viewpoint of, uh, you know, get out of jail card is, is the, is the um, uh, phrase that you need to use. In other words, things will go wrong. That's the attitude you need to have. Things will go wrong. You need to be comfortable that you'd be able to offload that property in a bad market without taking an absolute bath. Correct. And that you actually can survive. Mm. And it doesn't impact lifestyle which while you're holding that property. Which is always around cash flow. Yes. Cash flow is king, as we keep Always, saying. Or cash flow management mm-hmm. is king. So let's talk about the regional market just a little bit more because whilst we may have just given the impression that we don't like regional, we... No, we do like regional. We, yeah, We've we, got regional properties we ourselves. Do. Yeah, so we really like the first grade in regional areas, mm. so to speak. Subpar, where there's not enough economy drivers, where it is isolated from the rest of the economy, yet it's still very much reactive to what the rest of the economy is doing is not on our plate. No. We, we, I don't – been there, done that, and it just didn't perform as mm-hmm. well. Like, like you can have all the positive cash flow. You can have 50 houses at $20 a week positive cash flow in, in middle of nowhere town and you've just created you and a team of other people a job. Yeah. Where it doesn't take very much for that bottom line to shift mm. uh, into the negative very, very quickly. So what we're talking about here is – we still want growth all the time. Mm. Growth is growth is growth is growth. We want the cash flow to underpin it so that it gives us time in the market. Yeah. So just to clarify, we're not talking about positive cash flow properties, right? It's it's cash flow within your means because when you look at a portfolio, that the two stages or three stages it goes through, right? The first is the acquisition. And during the acquisition, there is an element of negative cash flow. And the element of negative cash flow is um, – what you, t- what you calculate without taking tax into account. So disregard the tax deductions. This is money in, money out, right? So let's say I can afford $400 a week to help hold onto my entire portfolio. Your portfolio needs to be shaped that way. Once you've done that, then you need to, of course, unencumber these properties at some way, shape or, shape or form. In other words, you need to pay them down. And there are different strategies that we'll go into, in, um, into detail in one of the podcasts uh, where you can pay them down. Um, and... Once you've paid them down, you've harnessed the income, right? That's the holy grail of it, right? A lot of people focus on just one side of the equation. They either focus just on accumulation, equity, yeah, accumulation, yep. and and you know, I want two million dollars of equity, um, and that's the goal, right? And they forget about cash flow management. Mm. 
So you need to be addressing both sides of it so that it's on an even plane. Uh, and that gives you the longevity and the ability to uh, weather the storms, the economic storms that come along in, during your investing journey. So your COVID factor where the job becomes shaky. If you are carrying a massive negative cash flow property because your focus was totally on growth, you'd be having kittens. Right? And we have unraveled so many of those portfolios yes. mm. in the past. And as you were saying that around the the return of cash flow, which is the holy grail, or unencumbrance mm-hmm. of debt is the holy grail, therefore the, the cash flow, unencumbered cash flow. You can't use the the very generic formula, well, I want $2 million worth of property value returning 5%. Doesn't happen. It, it, it's just, that's a theoretical yeah. textbook-based throwaway line it's paper investing it yeah it's yeah it's, it's just not real world mm. like i don't mind taking a three percent yield i'm talking unencumbered here if it's growth prospects or it's a zone property where i can build you know 10 floors up mm-hmm. i'll take that so it's so got a twist to it it's got a twist to it and so this is every property in isolation but how does it plug into every or into the portfolio so that every property has a reason for being there mm. whether that's a portfolio of two properties or 22 properties. The same approach yep. is necessary. And you also mentioned another interesting point saying, well, if you've got the capacity of $400 a week, and I know you just plucked that number, it's not around the one property. No, the portfolio. And, and this is how, as you said, this is how the portfolio is shaped based on that, as we refer to the mm-hmm. shortfall number. Yep. So it may not be 400. It might be a 100. Mm. It's a completely different approach to the person that's, but a $400 a week yep. capacity shortfall or $1,000 mm-hmm. a week capacity shortfall. So once again, if I go back to early in the conversation around the free strategy se- mm-hmm. session, it's, it's, an, it's a mute point. Yeah. yeah. So if you look at uh, also one of the comments we, we made was that, you know, um, now's the time given the interest rate to try and buy the best type of property you can in terms of um, what it can do for the portfolio. A $100 a week portfolio holding capacity as opposed to a thousand dollar they're two very different properties now two totally absolutely Mm. two different areas two different price points um not necessarily two different results on a percentage growth yeah based but we're looking maybe the best way to describe what you said is we're looking for the maximum exposure to the market that we can afford yes yeah well put steve (laughs) (laughs) i get one a podcast (laughs) So we've got the finance, we've talked about the finance and how intricate it is as we do on most podcasts, but that's how important mm-hmm. it is. We've, we've, now, we've now given our thoughts and explanation around the regional areas and how we think some will perform over the long term, but we also think that how some of these regional areas are going to be a flash in the pan. Mm-hmm. And if you're, a, if you're a transactional investor, meaning you want to get in and get out, maybe they're monetate hard yeah but maybe that's your bag yeah yeah like go do it but it's just not us Mm. we don't have that bandwidth to speculate real estate is a slow transaction right if you're transitioning from holding to selling it's a two month to three month process at best at best Mm. and then the time you get your money in the bank yeah it could even be longer and if it's if it's a flash in the pan scenario you would have missed the boat one of the questions that we got this week was around how do we alter and i'm sort of changing tact here but how do we alter 
the way that we negotiate now or what's the difference in the way that we mm. negotiate now to say it was pre-COVID? Very different. Extremely different. What Pre- would you say is the major major point of difference? It's the terms. It's the terms, right? Yep. Because um, uh, you need to understand what the vendor's um, motivation is to begin with. Um, and uh, given the relationships we hold with, with um, the, a lot of the agents we deal with, we are able to get an indication, right? They don't don't obviously divulge confidential information, but they do give an indication. Um, and, and that is not because they're freely giving that, it's, it's our years of shaping the conversation to extract pebbles along the way um, to, to get to that full information. Um, so that's the first thing. The second is that the less terms you have in today's market, the more attractive your offer because there are less hurdles to jump through. I was hoping you would answer it that way because I agree 100%. The less mm. complicated you make your offer, the more chance it has yeah. of floating. Yeah, so no no funky deals like, yeah, you know, the textbooks or the seminars uh, of the yesteryears. Or no money down. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. Yeah, doesn't work. Trans, yeah, tra- transact on a dollar. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, yeah, I'm not going to get down on that. They, they are either. on a very specific market it works, and those markets I have seen very few and far between in my investing career. And to be fair, you don't want that market because yeah. it usually means there is you know, gallons of blood on the street, mm. so to speak, so you're really buying into it. Anyway. But in terms of the way that we negotiate now, as Vic's pointed out, is wildly different than what we did 12 months ago, 24 months ago, and it's almost like we go back to our book mm-hmm. and we say, right, we're in this market and we know how – the fundamentals of negotiating work in this type of a market, and so we'll put this play into action. Yeah, even the way we do auctions now is wildly different, Very different. From, from back yeah. then. So, the major point for me would be, don't complicate it. Mm. Be progressive. Be proactive. Yeah, yep. you can't rest on your laurels. You can't play the slow game, saying, "Well, they've counteroffered. I might just wait a couple of days and mm-hmm. make them think." Yeah. It's, it, it, it doesn't work There's too that many way. players in the market right now that'll, that'll sweep it from under you, right? And, and one of the other uh, common ones that um, a lot of um, uh, investors come, come back with is giving them a lowball offer, right? Um, you need to know where the value is, where the value lies of the property and where the value lies for you, right, in your portfolio. And that's a very good point because lowballing today is just going to annoy the agent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you've probably just burnt a relationship or the beginnings of a relationship where they're just going to go elsewhere. Because as, a, as an investor, as someone who negotiates, you are expected to have a certain degree of knowledge around you on the offer that you're mm. putting in. In other words, don't take Bill or Mary, the agent, or the f- seller for a fool. Yeah. Ever. Not even in a mm. bad market, but the way that you approach it today. Yeah. Look, that, that, those sort of things used to work when the digital media wasn't here. Right, because the information wasn't as free flowing. Now everyone pretty much knows what the average values are in the area and what the recent sales are. It's as simple as jumping onto realestate.com.au and looking at the sold properties. Right, so this is this is where um, you need to understand it from a value proposition. Like I said before, um, of the value of the property and the value it holds in your portfolio. Sometimes it makes absolute sense to pay above odds to get that property because now having the property adjoining to what you already own creates a development site, which is far more uh, rewarding in the in the medium to long term because you've grabbed the opportunity while it was there and you've pushed everyone away by paying a little bit above everyone else. 
could because you've dollar cost averaged. That's right on the proposition because mm. you own next door. So once again, understanding the value of the market, what the real value of the market should shape the way in today's market, anyways, mm. how you make the offer. What would be the number one thing that you wouldn't do? So many things I wouldn't do. <laughs> the first is uh, you know just um, getting into the uh, getting caught into the farmer. Right, you know, I, I must get this property. I must get this property. Sometimes it is absolutely necessary to get that property in your portfolio because it fits into the plan, and it fits into uh, what you've already got in and around it. However, um, you shouldn't get into a Dutch auction scenario. Um, agents are really well trained, and they will try and extract as high an offer from you as possible. There's always going to be a buyer, and and in today's market, they're genuine buyers. Yeah, in the, in the background. Just remember that the agent's job is to get the most out of the vendor, mm-hmm. uh, out of the, the purchase of, for the vendor. That's yep. who they work for, and they spend thousands of thousands of thousands of dollars every year on honing their skill mm-hmm. as sales agents. Yeah, and a lot of them are very, very good at it. And it's if it's something that you only do, yeah, you know, annually, biannually, mm-hmm. once every five years, yeah, you are already behind the eight ball. So once again, determining value will help shape the way that you negotiate mm-hmm. or the the strategy that you deploy to negotiate. Um, but the number one thing for me would be to ask the right questions, then shut up. Yeah, listen. And just listen. Mm. It's amazing how much you'll learn when you stop talking. Yeah. Because the agents are human as well and they're willing to – They're not. it's not a them and us scenario. They're willing to help you. Mm. And they'll, they will give you the right information as much as they can – if you ask the right, yeah, yeah, and then the right w- questions. Absolutely, I agree. And and one of the things uh, talking about agents is, you don't want to make it hard for them, right? You, you give them the reasons as to why you're coming to this price, and and don't don't you know, put BS into it uh, in saying that you know plucking these uh, sales and all because they're the expert in that area. Yeah, don't showboat. You know, yeah. I remember I was at an auction once, and this guy turned up, in a. Bentley. I'm just saying that's your car. Um, <laughs> you had to bring that in. Huh? Every podcast, I'll get it in some way, shape, or form. But he turned up in a um, in a you know, the, the typical red Ferrari, you know, revving its guts out as he turned I think up. I know what you're talking about. And um, sort of got out of the car, showboating, because what he was trying to do is show people how much money he has, and you know, just the wrong area to do it. Way wrong area to do it. Mm. Uh, anyway, and he. He registered to bid and then they, the auctioneer asked for opening bid or offer, which is what they do every time, yeah, after their preamble. And this guy, before anyone else could throw a, or raise their hand, throw a bid in, he said, just letting you all know that I've got plenty. My pockets are deep. And everyone looked at him as if not in a, in a, in a, in a way of, you know, they were in awe or they were just psyched out. Everyone looked at him and said, what a mong. Like, what a gronk. <laughs> And the guy didn't even raise his hand once mm-hmm. for a bid. And that auction actually got down to the auctioneer. We were down to $5 bids. I remember that. <laughs> at, the, at the end of it, yep. which was crazy. Yeah, it was remote. painful. That was the longest auction. I, was, yeah. I aged about three years. <laughs> and we didn't get the property no. at all. But so, once was, again, Obviously, you were down to your last fiver. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we just stuck around actually to watch the show at the end. Um, so... Negotiation now is, once again, I'm repeating myself, very, very different. Uh, and I would say be engaged. Mm. Like, 
just go all in on your research and your knowledge base. If you're going to do this yourself, then be all in because you're about to spend circa half a mil or a million dollars. So you want to get it right. Yeah. 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 Don't shortcut the process, uh, so to speak. So we're quickly running out of time, Vic. We are. What would be, if you could, I'm going to ask a question now because we asked a question, I think it was this time last year, where I can't remember if you asked me or Phil asked me or I asked you, I can't remember. The question was, where do you think are going to be the best performing markets? And I think we said Sydney Mm -hmm. at, at that stage and you can go back and listen to I don't know whatever podcast it was where mm. we gave our answers and yeah, I think it was Facebook Live that we. Oh, was it a Facebook yeah, Live? Was yeah. it? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if you haven't uh, um, listened to our Facebook Live, uh, you can go back to the older episodes on our Facebook page. Um, there's um, absolute gems of gold, and um, of course the uh, slip ups that um, Steve has when he mispronounces words. I never mispronounce any words. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were for real, but I'm thinking, I've done it again. Have I? I got your name wrong. <laughs> um, so I'm going to ask you a reverse-facing question now. Mm-hmm. What do you think is going to be the most dangerous market mm-hmm. over the next, I'm going to call it three years? Yep. Yep. Good question. So it doesn't have to be the least performing market? Uh, most dangerous. The most dangerous. Yeah. I, I would say it would be the subpar regional, first off, right? And then your holiday areas, right? So this is um, – I don't want to – uh, name uh, areas as such, but I'll give you a scenario. Uh, this is where traditionally we are reliant on uh, overseas um, uh, tourists and there's a lot of infrastructure and all that. And now um, with the uh, locals not being able to get out, this has shown huge returns, right? So all booked out, and vibrancy in the area. Um, people have moved there for, uh, because of COVID, but the fundamentals aren't there. Right, so uh, they would be the areas that uh, would um, underperform um, or hurt people because as finance gets easier, more and more people will get into those areas, but then finance will come a, a lot harder, right? become a lot harder as they try and slow markets down. And this is where it will hurt people because uh, as, as borders open, people will also then start going overseas again and all that and, and forget about these local areas and return to normalcy where the yields that you're seeing right now simply will not be there. You going to name an area? No. That was very wishy-washy. Yeah. I'd, I'd say, listen right, to I'm going to put, put my foot in it. Uh, an area would be uh, uh, like that would be, say, Cairns, right? That, that would have um, quite a lot of um, um, issues as such once, once normalcy returns. Um, another area um, that... Um, people are moving into right now and is on the media and all that and it's way, way overvalued is uh, Byron Bay. Oh, you've just, those two comments. I know. Uh, are uh, just going to light up. Remember, remember the, the email address to send your complaints to, Steve. <laughs> at, right. <laughs> Do you know what? I'm going to um, agree and disagree. There you go. That's an each way bet. It is. <laughs> I actually think Byron Bay and its surrounds will continue to perpetuate. Mm-hmm. It's now the in thing with overseas. It's the clicky thing, right? It is. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm talking more in terms of your local investors and, and, and locals buying off the back of that. Yeah, you see, it's, it's a really, and I know we're going to go over time, but uh, it's our show. It, I think that there's a certain degree of people that 
will work will work remotely mm-hmm. for just about ever and ever. Yeah, because they already it's changed. It's changed forever, or they already have been. Mm-hmm. Right, and so there's this demographic shift, if you will, or positional shift is probably a better way to describe it, where they can go to your Byron Bay esque times of area because they have the capacity, the technology, and that is their their role, mm. whether it be in the tech space, corporate space, you know, exec space, whatever it may be. But the blue-collar worker will not be able yep, to do that. That's right. Because they need to be where the work mm. is, as an example, you know, whether it be you know, warehousing, building, yep. you know, Sparky, whatever. It's the, the, it's, that's not where it's going to be. It will be for a small few, to mm-hmm. be fair, but not for the majority. So there will be areas could be the sunny coast that continue to perpetuate and that yep. is the new norm. It could be Byron Bay as an example, but it won't be Burke. No. Yeah. And I say that with all the love in my heart for people out at Burke. I've spent half my life there. But it's not that is not the next mm. CBD. That is not too far out. And and um, whilst it's not subpar, the the employment opportunities are limited. Yeah. So you're catering for these types of areas which we think where, where I think will perpetuate and we'll call them the regional areas will have the capacity to cater for those that can do it as mm-hmm. opposed to those that just want to but don't know how yep they're going to do the cans one um, I think it's always been one of our areas there whilst it's done okay is it the best place that your dollar is going to work for you that's probably the, not. That's probably the not. Question. Yeah. And, and and in both of these areas, the overlying factor is if you get into a service department scenario, you're done. So that's yeah. what I'm leading to. Yeah, <laughs> and we speak from experience because yeah. I've told my story many times with mine. Vic's just shared his. With, I actually went with past much tears. And <laughs> well, I'm pretty sorry. I actually went past yours on Christmas holidays. Uh-huh. I threw rocks at it just for you. That's cool. Went insured. It. <laughs> <laughs> No, it was it was full. Uh, we, we're rapidly out of time, Steve. We are. So, um, once again, thanks for listening. Thanks for coming in, Vic. It's the first one of the year. We've mm-hmm. also got one in a couple of weeks, I think, with Phil Tarrant Phil. from S- SPI. Um, we have our Facebook Lives, which we do every every second week. Um, but as usual, always contactable. Feel free to reach out to us at questions at Right Property Group. Hit us up on the socials, um, whichever ones they are. Uh, and we'll always come back to you. In the meantime, stay safe. Hope you enjoyed this podcast, and we'll see you next time. See you then. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature, does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs, and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property, or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you.